Welcome to Family Business Today, where we feature prominent local and national family business owners. We also talk to top family business experts to discuss relevant topics, including communications, business culture, family relationships, succession and estate planning, values, as well as conflict resolution. Brought to you by the Tennessee Center for Family Business, I'm your host, Greg Lewis. Our guest today is Dana Holmes, managing member of Second Generation Capital in Nashville, Tennessee. Second Generation Capital was formed in 1994 to meet family shareholder needs for liquidity, growth financing, and ownership transition services. Over the years, their services have evolved to provide value to businesses at every stage of a company's life cycle. As a boutique firm, Second Generation Capital is affiliated with Kraft CPAs, an independent accounting firm based in Middle Tennessee. On today's podcast, we will be talking about planning and funding an exit from your family business that includes an eventual passing of the family business to your children. Well, good morning, Dana. Thank you for joining us on Family Business Today to talk about planning and funding an exit from your family business that includes an eventual passing of the family business to your children. Good morning, Greg. Good to have you with us. So let's start off with a, a question uh, about uh, planning a transition. So, so when should a business owner start talking about the transition of the family business uh, to his or her children? Uh, Greg, I don't think it's, it's ever too early to discuss that kind of thing. Um, as a, a professional that's often involved in the, the actual transactions at the end, I find that one of the biggest hurdles for families is poor communication. Um, dad thinks or mom thinks that they have told the family what to expect, um, but those things are not clear or the timing is not clear. And as people are living older, um, I find that problem becomes even worse because um, a lot of the baby boomers are still actively involved in their business into their 70s. And those children that have been expecting to have an opportunity to move into some transition with those parents are in their 40s or 50s before it happens. And, and that leads to a lot of, of issues because they've, they're much further along in life. Um, they don't, don't like to be considered children at that point. And, um, so I think conversation about eventual transitions is something that a family should do very early. Very good. So very, uh, so early on, even before the transition, uh, as we talk about, maybe not so much about when, but a sort of about uh, what that might look like, uh, so that at least the children have aware that it's something more than just someday this will all be yours. Correct, because because someday this will all be yours can be interpreted a lot of different ways. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it sure can. So, so uh, as a business owner, family business owner, which comes first, uh, considering uh, your retirement needs or the company's needs? Well, I think I think you have to take both at the same time and look for a balance. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things as we talk about this, uh, there are a lot of differences 
in, in how you transition a family business that relate to the scale of the business. And so if the business is large, um, the, the business owner may have taken a, a significant returns out of the business and may have an, uh, an estate plan and a retirement plan based on investments other than the business. And that totally changes the dynamic of the transfer to somebody else. Mm-hmm. Um, but if the business is small or if the business has struggled and the business owner hasn't built sig- significant assets outside the business, mm-hmm. their needs um, for retirement may be too high to um, if the business is going to try to fund them um, uh, compared to the value of the business. And so – um, you know, I, I, you have to look at both together. Um, the other thing I would say is that it's it's an amazing to us as professionals involved with fam, business owners um, how little they really understand their costs of living because frequently they'll say, oh, well, I'll just keep taking my salary and I'll be fine. Um but the business, if they lived out of a family business for many years, they they are not recognizing a number of costs of their lifestyle that that business has been supporting. Mm-hmm. And so a, a real analysis needs to be done of what that post-business income level needs to be to meet their expectations. Okay. Thank you. Thank you very much. So you talked about value there for uh, for just a moment. So while selling a business to a family member is really not the same thing exactly as selling to an outside buyer, why is it important that the owner determine what the fair value uh, price of the company is? Well, I think that really is a, a, a line that's going to run through s- several of your questions. Um, and, and that that really is because if the owner has a misperception of value, then their plan may not be realistic. If the family members have an unrealistic perception of value, then their understanding of the risk of the transition may not be accurate or realistic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If the business owner doesn't understand the value they may have unrealistic expectations in their retirement planning. Mm-hmm. Um, what I like to say is that most business owners that I know um, have a country club value in mind. They talk to somebody at the country club or at church right. who told them, well, I sold my business for $10 million. And they look at that guy's business and say, well, mine's got to be worth more than that. Um And so the next time they talk to their wealth planner or their retirement planner or somebody, when they're asked, well, so what do you think your business is worth? They say, well, it's at least 12 million Um, with no basis for that other than that conversation with a friend at church or the country club. Mm -hmm. And that conversation didn't take into account things like the debt that was on that business. So mm-hmm. the person may have sold it for 10, but they didn't get 10. Mm-hmm. They got six. Mm-hmm. And then they had to pay tax on the six. So that 10 was actually five. And and your business may be worth 
instead of 12, it may be worth five for planning purposes. Mm -hmm. What's your net? And so that really changes if you don't know what the value is. Mm -hmm. So we, we always advocate that you start with a fair market value an understanding of what your fair market value is. If that requires evaluation, then that's good. And we'll talk about valuation a, a, a number of times in this conversation, I think. Mm-hmm. But I think just as important as it is for the owner's planning, that understanding of value really matters to the, the whoever is the target of the transition plan. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If they If they have that vague understanding that the children do or the management team does, that someday this will all be yours. Mm-hmm. Um, if there hasn't been good communication, they may not understand the risk that comes with that statement. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm working with a company right now that's in the construction business, mm-hmm. and the owner made that kind of statement someday this will all be yours to his key management team. Mm-hmm. Well, some of them interpreted that to mean, I'm going to give you the keys one day. Some of the other ones interpreted that to mean I'm going to give you the option to buy it from me one day. Those are very different things. Mm -hmm. Oh, it is (laughs) Um, very much so. And and some of them don't realize that they look at the earning power of the business and think of that as the value. They don't realize that the the owner now has several million dollars worth of bonds and guarantees um, that he's personally at risk for. Mm -hmm. And so if the business is worth almost the same thing as those potential liabilities, they may not want to own it. (laughs) Sure. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, so, so you have to start with a realistic understanding of value. I'm sorry, I got wordy there, but I think it relates to a lot of different no, I appreciate that. So, so I, I talking talking about fair value, and, and of course, many times employees, uh, uh, if you're doing an ESOP, in some ways, it's sort of like uh, selling to your children. But what's the difference in a fair value of a business that you may be selling to your children or to your employees versus? a fair value for your business that you may be selling on the open market uh, to, uh, to an open market buyer? Um, well, you know, the, the, the valuation professional has got specific rules they have to follow in setting the value. And so, you know, that, that the, the, there are a number of assumptions that can be applied to it. Um, but when you're talking about the value to a strategic buyer, an outsider who has some reason why this business is additive to their business, they may pay a premium that you're, you don't expect to charge when you're selling it to family members or your, your internal group management team or combination of family members and internal group. Mm -hmm. So, the business owner has to understand what the key assumptions are in the valuation analysis that's done for them. Because if that assumption, those assumptions are based on a strategic buyer paying a premium, there may be a difference between that perceived value and what they would, 
sell it to their family for. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of times business owners want to, to take advantage of whatever they believe the full value to be. And the difference between how they treat an external party and an internal party is in the terms of the transaction, not the price. I see. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. So, um, so we're going to assume uh, that uh, the the family business owner uh, uh, is going to have some type of a financial transaction with the next generation selling it beyond just giving the company to them. So, so what are some of the options, Dana, for the next generation to pay for the purchase of the business from their parent other than just writing a check or paying with cash? Um. Well, there's there's installment sale type um, options where the the seller basically provides financing in the form of taking a note or taking um, uh, you know payments over time, um, either from the company or from the the other family members. Um, there may be a, a structure where that's partial. Um, where the the seller um, finances part of the transaction in that way, mm-hmm. um, the 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 next generation may simply borrow the money, um, and instead of paying um, uh, mom and dad over time, they pay the money back to a bank, um, you know, or or a, another lender. Um, they may bring in um, a a financial partner to make the transaction happen. Um, we see more of that nowadays than, than um, probably in the past because of the growth of family office and private equity investors who are looking for opportunities to invest in operating companies. Mm-hmm. And so again, we go back to scale. If this family business is, is large um, where that transaction is a large transaction, um, you know, upwards of $5 million or so, then there are investors who may want to partner with the, the, the younger generation um, to structure that buyout so that they can share in the future growth of the business. And, and the younger generation may welcome that type of partner Mm-hmm. Um, so that their their risk is reduced. So uh, you talk about risk. So w- what are w- let's just say five years into uh, the sale of the uh, uh, of the family business to the next generation, and things maybe aren't going economically or management wise or whatever what they would like. What what are some of the risks the family business owners should consider? Uh, in selling the the uh, company to other family uh, members. Uh, well, that's a loaded question. Um, <laughs> um, uh, you know, one of the one of the we all we all ha- know that the 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 data shows that um, uh, there is a, a a pretty rapid fall off in in the value of of family businesses if the generational transfers aren't, aren't carefully done. Mm-hmm. And one of, one of those things is that um, 
sometimes the founding generation is not good at passing along the skill set mm-hmm. um, that helped them succeed. Um, uh, and, and, and or they don't recognize that the next generation doesn't have the same skill sets. Um, frequently, the, the next generation doesn't have the same drive. Mm-hmm. Um, even if they are skilled, um, or as educated or whatever, they, they grew up as the children of the owner of a successful business. Mm-hmm. And so they may not have the same ambition, um, or see the need for, um, the investment of energy that their parents did when they f- were in the founding generation, um, while those kids were probably too young to see it. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And so by the time those ki- the, the next generation becomes aware, they're used to a certain level of success and a certain type of energy investment that may not be the same one that their parents had when they started the, the business. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a major risk. And that's why I talked about communication after your first question. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that frequently um, assumptions are made inside families, um, and and those things aren't worked through. You know, I, I have worked with a number of companies where the the founding generation assumed that the next generation wanted to run the business. And when we got involved with it and started asking them, we learned that, no, they really didn't want to do that. Mm -hmm. They didn't want to work as hard as mom and dad, and they didn't want to take the risk. You know, one of the risks in a transition is there's risk on both sides, and a lot of people don't recognize that. Mm -hmm. The, The founding generation may think the only risk is that I'm giving you seller financing. But the younger generation, you know, the transitional group may, for the first time, have to underwrite those bonds like I talked about before. Right. Or they may they may have never really been trained on hiring and firing and so on because the former generation always did that. And so there's a risk that they don't understand what they're getting into. But I'll tell you – Candidly, I think the the worst risk in a family business transition is that the founding generation never lets go of the decision making. Right. Mm-hmm. They put together a financial transaction that that looks like they've transferred control, but frequently they don't relinquish actual control, and that leads to a lot of strife in the family. Um, and, and I think that's one of the biggest risks that I see. Okay. Thank you, Dana. I appreciate that. So you t- we've talked about clarity, and uh, uh, it's over a long period of time, so uh, people think they've been told or they think they've told or whatever. So so what is, what's the importance of having a written buy-sell agreement? Um, it's, it's very useful. Um, um a, because, you know, one of the things that, that is another risk of not having good communication and or a good plan is that 
um, exogenous shock um, creates the um, uh, the event. Um, somebody gets sick, somebody gets divorced, somebody dies, mm-hmm. and if there's not a documented plan, um, then um, or there hasn't been careful discussion and consideration about how those transfers should occur, mm-hmm. then you may have a mess with, um, you know, could be a surviving spouse at odds with her own children mm-hmm. um, or with the managers of, um, uh, you know, the, 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 the poor husband is left after his wife, the founder, died. And the managers don't think he has any knowledge of the business. So they start um, telling him they want to make the decisions. And Mm -hmm. so a buy-sell agreement, having that in place um, or having any um, transition plan in place, it may not just be buy-sell alone. It may be part of the family's estate plan or Mm -hmm. um, trust agreements or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, Those things are critical so that there is a roadmap for how to execute them. The the second reason um, that a formal buy-sell agreement is, is really important is that it requires you to think through some of the, the things that normally cause problems, like you need to have a pricing mechanism built into the buy-sell agreement. What's it going to cost? Either there's a formula that's agreed to, and then everybody knows what it is, um, or there is an independent valuation that's called for, and everybody is expecting that. Um, and and you know and and so those types of things are very important because again they remove that confusion about what's it worth or how do we determine what it's worth and how do we keep from being at odds over different perceptions of the value. Um, but it's important if you do that. And one of the problems we run into a lot is that early on in partnerships um, or the start of a family business, a buy-sell agreement gets written and it gets put on the shelf. And um, the, the valuation of the business or the proper mechanism for valuing the business has actually changed over time. Um, you know, for instance, I got in one just recently where two partners have a, a buy-sell agreement, um, they bring on a third partner and they gave him a value in the transaction of, of uh, you know, that was stated in the, the, the revised buy-sell agreement. Well, it's been 15 years now and they're about to sell the business and they realized that the valuation that they had ag- agreed to for that new partner is way low <laughs> compared to the real value of the business now. Mm-hmm. And so they have to decide how do they bridge that gap because he's an important – he's younger and he's an important part of the business that the buyer wants to buy. So – they're having to redo all of that and renegotiate it, and it's not a arm's length transaction now because everybody sees the money on the table from the new acquisition that's planned. Mm-hmm. So anyway, the buy sell agreement gives you a roadmap. It gives you a basis for valuation, 
And it also gives you a basis for creating a funding plan. A lot of times buy-sell agreements are tied to the purchase of, of key man life insurance or something like that that provides the funding. So you, you need it to document what the plan is. You need it to set forth the, the basics that are going to be dealt with. And then you need to update it so that the numbers still match uh-huh. years mm-hmm. later. Okay. Thank you, Dana. So I think what I'm hearing from you, Dana, is is that uh, even though the uh, transaction may, may be years later, uh, it's really important to, to get a written buy-sell agreement in place, especially in a family transaction, as soon as possible so that both both the current generation, the owner, and the next generation uh, have some clear idea of, of what the plans are for, for a transition. Is that correct? Yes, and, okay. and how it would be funded and so on. Sure. Yes. Very good. Thank you. So speaking from personal experience, a family business transition can be a very emotional journey. What type of outside help should, should a, a business owner consider in planning a successful transition? Um, well, I mean, there's, there's sort of hard, hard issues and soft issues. Mm-hmm. Um, the hard issues, you know, you, you, you need, um, a good estate attorney to plan for some of the different options that come up in a transfer, mm-hmm. um, so that you, you properly consider the tax, the, the gift uh, what can be done in gifts versus what has to be done in a, a sale, um, how the, the um, you know, how you're taking into account other family members that, that aren't involved in the business. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the things that the old, um, um, the old continental system based on feudalism, you know, was that the oldest son got everything and, the, the the second sons and the and the daughters and so forth were then as reliant on that party to take care of them as they had been on dad or mom or whoever was the the patriarch or the matriarch of the family and we we tend to be more egalitarian in our families these days in in, in at least in this country but um, we still have a tendency to only have faith in certain of the, the, the progeny to, to run the family business. And so you need some estate planning help. Um, the attorney is key for how to structure the estate to treat everybody fairly. Mm-hmm. Then, you know, I already mentioned tax, but you need accounting help to figure out the tax. Mm-hmm. You may need um, you may need the help of an investment banker or, or somebody to help you put together whatever the lending package is or, or if, if a, a private equity partner's coming in to help do part of the transaction to help you negotiate that. Those are what I call the hard side. Mm-hmm. The soft side, the, the, the family may need, um, the help of business psychologists or, um, family planning experts or whatever that can help the family work through the, the psychological impacts, the, the, um, 
communication issues, the intergeneral, intergenerational problems um, that occur, and um, and so it really takes a team in most cases. Mm-hmm. Some people rely on on friends and family to provide that softer side support, but they may or may not be qualified. So, okay. All right. Well, thank you for sharing that with you, with us. Um, so you, you talked a little bit about the oldest son, uh, whatever, but, uh, how, how do you, this whole idea of fairly and equally, how do you treat children who are not involved in the family business fairly, but may feel left out if they're not included in the transition of the business, but are included in the estate side? Right. Um, well, you know, again, some of that goes goes back to my earlier comment about scale. You know, if the business has been a, a relatively large business and successful over time, the 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 business owner um, may have created significant investments outside the business. Um, and that makes it much easier to balance an estate um, because those assets can be allocated to the family members that aren't involved in the in the business. Um, but you also can can put structures together, even if the business is the primary asset, that give those non-operating siblings a portion of the income mm-hmm. um, that's being generated by the business mm-hmm. and, you know, in the form of, you know, maybe a preferred dividend structure or something like that. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, but again, the communication and the family governance issues mm-hmm. are really important um, because, if you create that second type of structure where the business, the, the control of the business is passed to one of the children, but the other children are expecting income from it as their part of the estate, there needs to be a governance structure that allows them to have a sense that they, A, know what's going on, and B, have the ability to influence it. <coughs> um where you know, in, in order to protect that that what what mom or dad thought was a fair structure, okay, um, okay. and and so what I have seen is, is it ranges from a, a trust being created that actually owns the business, and the trustees include one of the family members who are in the operation of the business and two that are not, um, so that. The, the the business has to make a rational case for the decisions that it makes that relate to the trust and the trust has the ability to to participate in the decisions the major business decisions as well okay well thank you very much Dana I appreciate that so uh, Dana where, where could our listeners go to learn more about successfully planning and funding a family business transition? Oh gosh, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of sources. Um, 
you know, you can talk to people like um, the, the, your Tennessee Center for Family Business. Mm-hmm. You can talk to companies like mine. Um, you can uh, you can look, you know, particularly um, you need to engage um, some estate planning uh, attorneys and, and wealth management people to help you understand, um, you know, how to structure things because, you know, the, the tax laws have, have made it possible to, to now give a, a, a pretty large lifetime gift, uh, you know, that might cover a lot of, um, small to midsize businesses. Um, if a couple can give $20 million now under the new rules to, to, um, family members without triggering estate tax, um, that covers an, a lot of businesses. Sure. Um, but there are structures in place that can help protect um, even larger businesses or portions of them from, um, you know, heavy estate taxes and so on. Um, and, and you need legal professionals to interpret that for you. Okay. Um, I'm not sure if those are the answers you're looking for. Oh, I appreciate that very much. So, uh, Dana, do you have anything uh, else you'd like to add for our listeners today? Um, I, I guess the 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 key is to understand that there are lots of different ways to approach these types of transitions, and because there are a lot of moving parts, and because there your family is involved. Um, this is not something that the business owner needs to do in a vacuum. Um, it, it is something that probably needs to be openly discussed with key family members. Um, it needs to be researched. It needs to be thought through um, so that there is an ample opportunity for it to succeed. Well, Dana, thank you for being our guest on Family Business Today. To learn more about Second Generation Capital, visit their website at www.secondgeneration.com. That's the number 2ndgeneration.com. To our listeners, thank you for joining us for the Family Business Today podcast. Brought to you by the Tennessee Center for Family Business located in Nashville, Tennessee, Our passion is to help one family at a time deal with the unique challenges of working together in a family business and planning for a successful transition. As a special gift for joining us for today's edition of Family Business Today, we would like to send you a free copy of 80 questions every family business owner should answer. This assessment tool will help you to identify your business and family's strengths and weaknesses, establish your priorities, and work on your business rather than in your business. Send us an email today at info at tncfb.com and simply say 80 questions. Want to schedule a free, no-obligation meeting with one of our family business professionals? Discuss the unique challenges that you and your family are currently facing as a family business? Call us at 615-513-9028 or email us at info at tncfb.com. Until next time, thanks for joining us. 